In today's first reading, we have that wonderful promise that God made with Noah and uh, through Noah with the rest of humanity, and that is never again would he destroy the world through water. And I find it interesting that he would choose to say it that way. Notice he never promised that he wasn't going to destroy the world again, just not through water. And he does, in a very real way, destroys the world with fire. And at the end times, of course, that fire uh, will be real. But for now, real might mean real, real fire, probably, most likely. But for now, how he destroys the world and recreates it in his image and likeness through the fire of the Holy Spirit. Yes, for some reason, I have the Holy Spirit on my, on my mind and heart today. I don't know what's going on at the 1030 Mass uh, with, uh, as I get the great privilege to confirm uh, 19 of our parishioners this day to seal them with the gift of the Holy Spirit and see, uh, see the Holy Spirit gush upon them. But this, ad, this Lenten season is all about preparing for that fire, preparing again our hearts. The Church in her wisdom gives us these 40 days of preparation for the death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, after, uh, after Jesus uh, is raised, the first words he says to the apostles is peace be with you, of course, and receive the Holy Spirit. And the last thing we do in the, uh, the Easter season, the last day of the Easter season, is Pentecost, when that Holy Spirit is not given just to the apostles, not just to those in that upper room, but now to all believers. And all believers then giving the, given the strength, the gifts, the graces that they need to go forth and to be missionaries in the world, to proclaim the good news. Jesus' first words after his resurrection are the transformation that the church need, needs. And today in this gospel passage, we have uh, this very short passage. Of course, the first uh, Sunday of Lent, every year we hear the temptation narratives, uh, cycle B, which we are in, of course, from the gospel of Mark. St. Mark doesn't give us a whole lot of details. Matthew and Luke, of course, give us some, some more details. They actually list out those temptations that Jesus experienced. And they actually correspond. It's captured my heart, and I know I'm kind of a broken record with it, but the three concupiscences of the pride of, the, or pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. How the temptations that Jesus experiences listed in Matthew and Luke line up with those. How he was tempted to change stone into bread or to make a spectacle of himself, pride of life, or that he was to surround himself with all the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship. You'll have to come back next year and hear further exposition of those because I, there is more, a lot more to that. But for now, to remember that St. Mark doesn't give us what actually Jesus was tempted. But he does say that he was tempted. And first of all, this should tell us something. And I'd like to reflect a little bit this morning on the nature of temptation because it is not just us who are fallen who experience this, but Jesus himself experienced temptation. This should tell us one thing. It should tell us simply being tempted isn't a sin. 
in and of itself. Because Jesus is tempted, and we're, and we're not saying, well, it mustn't be a sin because Jesus was, was sinless, but how is it that Jesus could be tempted and yet remain sinless? Of course, we know that temptation sometimes leads us to sin, that we give in to that temptation. That's because of our brokenness, because of our concupiscence, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, of the flesh, and pride of life. But it's not necessary, of course, and sometimes we might be tempted and are able to resist those temptations. We'll give a little bit uh, of help in a little bit with that. But how was Jesus tempted and yet, by nature, unable to sin? Impeccable. Impeccability is the uh, divine attribute that he enjoyed, that he would not, could not sin. Well, let's reflect a little bit on the nature of our own temptations. I, I'm sure even the youngest among us who are aware uh, know that temptation comes from a couple different sources. And the first source, of course, and the one we always want to say it comes from is Satan, somebody or something outside of ourselves. So uh, Satan telling us, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, Satan enjoys telling us, oh, it's not going to hurt. It's, it's, it's just a little thing. It's not, it's, not, it's not that much. It's just this one time. Or, you know, Satan is particularly vile. You can always go to the sacrament of reconciliation. And while it's true, we can always go to the sacrament of reconciliation. It's rather presumptuous to say, I can go ahead and sin and just go to the sacrament. But after we sin, of course, after we give in to that temptation, if it's an external thing to us, then he comes back and reminds us, see, I told you you were evil. I told you you couldn't do it. See, I told you you're bad. Temptation in that light is external, and it doesn't become internal until we give in to it. Jesus experienced temptation in that way, Satan telling him, telling him, go ahead, go ahead. Turn this stone into bread. No one will notice. Or throw yourself down. Everyone will notice. Or bow down, and I'll give you everything. And in the process, lose everything. But for us, because of that brokenness that we inherited because of Adam and Eve, because of concupiscence in us, we have internal temptations. Sometimes it comes from our mind. Sometimes it comes from, you know, I don't want to blame everything on hormones, but sometimes our home hormones act against us, especially in those teenage years where we're trying to get a grasp of it. Sometimes uh, we, we have given ourselves over. Sometimes we've filled ourselves with such trash that we cannot help but be tempted internally. I use the example of uh, if we constantly eat a diet of sugary treats, eventually we're not going to feel so well. The same is true if we constantly take in uh, media with swear words, and media with rampant sexuality, and media with this and that and that and this, all of a sudden we're going to find ourselves more easily tempted because we've allowed ourselves to be. We've fed ourselves a diet that leads to temptation. Sometimes we surround ourselves, and this is both an internal and an external thing, but we surround ourselves with so-called friends that would not help us. Oh, come on. 
try this beer for the drink with us. Or, or try this famous last words. I, I like to point out there, uh, there's a gravestone. Uh, I forget where it is, but uh, they put his last words and engraved it. Look what I can do. That so often our friends are external temptations, but in order to impress them, we internally are tempted to do something and do something dumb. So Jesus didn't experience temptation in that way because his will and his, his, uh, was perfectly united to his divine will. His human nature perfectly united to his divine nature. That he submitted his humanness to his divinity. So how does this help us, though? Well, this is where the Holy Spirit comes into play. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be that divine presence in us. And we, though, have no right to that divine presence. He gives it freely. This is grace. He gives it to help us. He comes, that Holy Spirit comes with the gifts that strengthen us, and especially the gift of fortitude. That when we ask for that Holy Spirit to come, and it's not the Jiminy Cricket conscience kind of thing, but rather we ask the Holy Spirit to help us form our conscience, we begin to see, ah, this is a temptation. And we, with fortitude and with knowledge and counsel and wisdom, are able, able to see that temptation. If I give into it, it will lead to somewhere I would rather not be. It will lead to a life that I would rather not live. And so I choose against it. Sometimes with those internal temptations, and again, even the internal ones are not necessarily sin. There's a really terrible, bad joke. Uh, a young man went to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I've had uh, uh, lustful thoughts. Well, my son, did you entertain them? For those that are younger that don't know, that was shorthand for, did you give in to them? Oh, no, Father, they entertained me. There, even though he didn't act on those thoughts, when he began to think about them, and this made-up story, of course, but when he began to think about them, that's when sin began to come in. If we begin to think about those sins, oh, yes, I like that's where we sin. But if it's a momentary temptation, we recognize it for what it is. With the grace of the Holy Spirit, we dismiss it, we dispense it, we get rid of it, and we move on. We've not sinned, though we experienced it internally. And we might be able to look at Jesus in the example he gives, too. In St. Matthew and St. Luke, of course, as he's being tempted by Satan, he does something that on the surface is very, very funny, I have to admit. And he starts quoting scripture to Satan. Satan doesn't care about scripture. But why does Jesus do this? I think he does it because he tells us when we read scripture, when we study scripture and let it become part of our lives, it gives us strength and wisdom to be able to combat temptation. So reading scripture and prayer, of course, strengthen us. Or today in this gospel passage, St. Mark records that Jesus was ministered by the angels. How the angels can assist us, the saints can assist us in our temptation, asking the angels and the saints to come to be with us, to help us, to intercede to God for us. But even more, 
Not that humans become angels. This is one of my pet peeves, I, I will admit, every time. Uh, I know it's uh, maybe comfort to some people, but when somebody dies, and now we have an angel in heaven. No, you don't. Angels were created by God specific at the very beginning of creation. Every angel that was, uh, is to be, has already been created. Human beings do not become angels, but we become saints when we die. But human beings can take the role of the angels that in the midst of our temptation, and maybe you've experienced this, I know I have, in the midst of a temptation, somebody comes into our life and ministers to us, helps us, prays for us, aids us, reminds us, if you give in to this temptation, this is where, where it's going to lead. It's a rather sobering thought sometimes. And they minister to us like the angels. And sometimes we ought to be like the angels to those around us. Like I already said, sometimes our so-called friends would be sources of temptation. While they may be sources of temptation, we have two choices. One is to avoid their presence until such time as we're able to have that strength to undo the temptation. And two, when we do, to return to them and to be like an angel to them, minister to them, help them out of that temptation themselves. The one point with temptation, and I think this is perhaps why St. Mark records that he was among the wild beasts, besides the fact that Jesus was in danger, mortal danger for his life at times in, there in that desert, though willingly entering that 40 days, that in this 40 days of Lent, we are with him. We are the wild beasts when we do not have a hold of our concupiscence, when we do not have a hold of those temptations. We're the broken ones, the wild ones. But Jesus does not wish us to remain there. If you remember back all the way to last week, we had the leper coming to him. Lord, if you wish, you can make me well. I do wish it. Be made well. Jesus would say the same thing to us in the midst of our temptation. Lord, if you wish, you can take this temptation. You can give me the strength to deal with this temptation. I do wish it. Be made well. He gives us the grace to do so. This whole Easter season, or Lenten season and the Easter season, is about receiving that grace of knowing that it's given to us on the cross, it's given to us through his resurrection, and it's given to us in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is the gift we need to deal with temptation. It's a gift we need to be the ministers that God has called us to be. And yes, all of us are called to be ministers, to minister to each other, to help each other, to help, uh, help ourselves and help each other live the lives that Christ has given us. Good lives, holy lives.